Hey guys, today we interviewed Kenny Bedwell from SCR Insights, as well as a member of the Short-Term Rental Wealth Super Team. Man, it was awesome interviewing Kenny because we talked about a little bit about his background working as a data analyst at his W-2 job to transitioning to self-employment full-time using his tool, STR Insights. It's a data tool. Guys, if you haven't checked that out yet, you know we're going to talk about it in the podcast, but you literally can filter what your specific property is, like what do you want based on price, geographical location, bedroom count, et cetera, revenue numbers, all these different types of things that you are not able to do with AirDNA or Data Rabu. You know, we talked about some of the struggles as scaling our businesses as well as our short-term rental portfolios. We talked about buyer tendencies and markets, you know, where, where investors looking to buy based on their profile. And then we just talked about the overall risk and things that we've seen working with hundreds of investors between ourselves. So it was an awesome podcast today and you guys are in for a treat. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey guys, before we get into the episode today, I really want to shout out my Facebook group, Tax Strategies for Real Estate Investors. So we have over 5,000 real estate investors in this group from all walks of life. We have long-term rentals, multifamily, mid-term rentals, short-term rentals, commercial properties, syndications, and everything in between. We have people that are co-hosting in there. We have people that are property managing in there. So make sure to join today because we talk about all sorts of things between tax strategies and real estate management, portfolio management, and absolutely everything you can imagine. So if you have questions for me, this is the easiest way to get access to me is to join this group and ask your question. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Learn Like a CPA show. I'm your host, Ryan Bakey, with my good friend today, Kenny Bedwell from SCR Insights. Uh, Kenny is a member of our super team as well as a member of our mastermind group. I've, I've gotten to know Kenny for, what, about a year and a half, almost two years now. And I met Kenny when he was still working at Citibank as a data analyst. And now he has a full-fledged team uh, helping short-term rental owners and potential owners buy, identify markets and buy properties. So Kenny, I want to let you introduce yourself a little bit. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. So I, uh, like Ryan's saying, I'm the founder and CEO of STR Insights. Um, but I'm also a short-term rental investor. I have six properties that I own and manage um, in around. I live in uh, Western New York, so Buffalo, New York. Uh, my properties are in Buffalo, Niagara Falls, and then Central New York, Watkins Glen, if anybody knows where that is. Uh, so uh, I love STR investing, and um, but I'm also a data nerd. I love the numbers behind, um, you know, what does well in markets and what markets are doing well and where people should invest. Um, and so that's kind of my specialty is helping people identify, um, you know, the right markets for them and, and then where in that market they should be investing. Wow. So you have, so you have six properties that you own and manage yourself, right? Do you do any co-hosting? Um, I, I used to, so I, I'm kind of getting rid of due to time constraints and everything. I, I am getting rid of those properties, but yeah, I've done some co-hosting. I've done rental arbitrage. I, you know, it's it's literally own, manage, uh, co-hosting, and, and arbitrage. So it, it, I've done it all. <laughs> and, and you and you talked about this Watkins Glen property. How were you? You know, because I've never heard of that market, let alone I I don't know anybody that actually invests in New York outside of you. I have some clients that are in. <laughs> New yeah. Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire is kind of popular on, on some lake markets. And I even had, you know, one client do really well up in Maine, but I've never actually had anybody that's invested in New York. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you kind of found that property? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little, I mean, New York, uh, 
there's a lot of states that are just kind of low key, re, like really, really well for uh, short term rentals because of the housing prices. So, um, you know, uh, Watkins Glen has a state park where a million people go through it every year. Uh, beautiful state park. Uh, it's a town of maybe 1500 people. There's no really major hotels there. Um, mm. There's a NASCAR racetrack there. There's uh, wineries. There's a huge lake. That's where it sits on. Um, so there's a lot of traffic drivers and it's four hours from New York City. So in like five hours from Pittsburgh, uh, two and a half from Buffalo, uh, one and a half from Rochester. So uh, there's a lot of uh, big cities nearby. And so, but I hadn't heard of Watkins Glen before I invested in it either, even though I was near it. And I found it through looking at the data. Uh, what data was I looking at? I was looking at housing prices and average revenue across markets to see what I could afford and then would fit my preferences. So I wanted to find a property within four hours driving distance. So that kind of put a, a, a criteria around where I could invest. And so, you know, a list of markets popped up and Watkins Glen was up at the top. So yeah, I, I know one of the things, the big things you talk about is the, the traffic drivers and I know from experience that the NASCAR and the big stadiums is a huge thing. I know for us, for my new uh, ground up construction project in Branson, you know, we found out that NASCAR just got uh, licensed to uh, have their events there, kind of like the big, you know, Daytona 500 or like they have the Indy 500, like a, a major uh, flagship event there. And that's just a huge traffic driver and a, you know, big compression event, in my opinion. But then it also think about how many other sort of outfits and events they're going to have at that racetrack as well. And it's just a huge traffic driver. Yeah. The, the cool thing about the track is they have races. So they start uh, mid April. Um, they have like a weekend, they open it up. It, it's kind of cool. Actually. The first one is a, uh, anybody. So they allow everybody, the public, you can show up, you sign a waiver and you can drive any vehicle you want, like that you have and you can race it on the track. You just have to follow a lead car and you're, aren't, you're not allowed to pass anybody. Um, and so like, uh, so they start that. That's like the, the, the year, the first of the year tr race, true race. And then all the way from middle of April till about the end of September, they have races every weekend. Um, they could be big Formula One all the way down to, you know, like uh, classic car races and stuff. It's really cool uh, all the stuff they do there. But yes, uh, you have those major compression events but then there's always something going on on the weekends there so oh let's uh let's dive in a little bit to your your tool that you developed and that you use to kind of help find your Watkins Glen property I know from using it and kind of firsthand experience with you that you you have four sort of big identifying pillars when it comes to helping investors find properties can you touch a little bit on those four pillars absolutely so uh I guess just to, to clarify too, so the tool is the data, but what you're talking mm. about, the pillars is understanding the concepts before we even start looking at the data. Because in what I've seen is that, um, you know, when I tell people, because everybody wants to know, Kenny, tell me the top markets in the country. But in reality, my top markets are different than your top markets because we have personal biases. We have personal preferences in where we want to invest and what we see is doing well too. Even if you look at the numbers, that's, I mean, some of the best markets in the country are, you know, in Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, but there aren't a lot of investors who want to invest there. So they kind of, you know, fall asleep and turn away from that. And so 
For me, it's understanding and identifying the personal preferences of each individual. So talking about the pillars though, this is more on the logical side. So not only is it identifying where and what you kind of want to invest in, you also have to match your goals. And so that's where that goes in with the pillars. So the four pillars for me for um, short-term rental investing are cash on cash returns, cash flow, tax savings, and appreciation. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's so right because I know I know you've talked about it with uh, Patrick Switek before and just how I, I remember listening to your podcast and you said that you know from a ROI perspective like a gross ROI perspective. Michigan tends to be the best market, but you know, not everybody here wants to go to Michigan to vacation. We, so in, in high school and college, the thing used to be, we used to drive to Michigan and we used to go on the lower side of the mitten east, uh, I would say lower west side of the mitten, like South Haven, Michigan and St. Joseph. Those used to be pretty popular areas to go to, but you know, some of those towns have completely banned short-term rentals, but I do understand that there are a few markets, you know, especially at the top of Lake uh, top of Michigan that are, are really good for STRs. But, you know, would I personally want to invest there? You know, probably not. I already have a few properties in the Midwest and, and I'm, you know, dealing especially with, you know, right now with it being winter, you know, the properties are harder to book. It, your Midwest properties are going to have a slow time during the winter. And so, you know, maybe think about strategizing. So for you to say your best market is not going to be somebody else's best market is exactly right, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's uh, understanding uh, timing too, you know, seasonality, timing of when you invest in that market. So for me too, and to go back to the pillars here, every market, I, I see, you know, this is this is coming from my background at Citibank where I was a research analyst studying, you know, the equities market and stocks. So when we go and we look at stocks, uh, a lot of times if you go in like Fidelity or you know some of these other brokerages and you're looking at stock performance, um, not necessarily like the, the histogram charts or, or bar charts of you know historics, but of the health and well-being of a, of a stock, they give it like a ranking score. They'll say, you know, this this Amazon, you know, the uh, health of the this company is a 77, the uh, you know, uh, revenue potential is a, is a 46 and, you know, so on. Like they have like five different metrics or whatever. And every brokerage has different ratings and scores and, you know, it's all different, but it helps the investor, uh, I guess, categorize or car, uh, or just basically identify what their focus is and for them to understand if it's a good, uh, you know, stock they want to purchase. And for me, I see every market, short-term rental market as the same, but with the cash on cash, cash flow, tax savings and appreciation. Meaning that, you know what, Th- these markets will pick on Michigan again. These markets in Michigan have a really high cash on cash return. Meaning that you can go out and you can find, you know, low priced properties and then have a, have a decent revenue and get that return quickly. However, the cash flow isn't as high as some of the traditional vacation markets in say Florida or Tennessee or North Carolina, even in California. So, and then, and then finally the tax savings, you you get greater tax savings, you know, in the South or Ohio than in Michigan. Um, And then appreciation, obviously a lot of those properties aren't going to appreciate as much as properties in other markets as well. And so every market, if you're, if you're focused solely on cash on cash, 
then Michigan could be a good play for you. Uh, but if you're if you're wanting more cash flow or you're wanting you know to really maximize a uh, you know a, a cost segregation and or tax savings in a particular market or maximize appreciation, maybe Michigan isn't the best overall market uh, based on your criteria. And so it's really understanding and diving into each of these four criteria and and where you sit is how I always start when or the questions I ask when I'm I'm helping someone identify a market. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember when I had my light bulb moment of you know really understanding the difference between cash on cash return, having a high cash on cash return, but then at actually having a high cash flow amount and it really seems, mm. you know, as owning a few properties in the, in the Midwest, it seems like you will get a pretty good cash on cash return. However, the total cash flow amount is going to be you know, not what you're going to get in those other markets. So I'll give you an example of, of my deal. So I, I hover around 43 to 45% cash on cash return on my property in Ohio. Uh, however, you know, it's only going to cash flow me maybe 35, 40 grand a year in that particular property, net cash flow after all expenses are paid. So it's a, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm getting my money paid back within probably two and a half years. However, you know, the total cash flow is not there. So I think that's a really good transition into our, like our next topic. You know, if we were to kind of sit down and walk through investors, you know, with investors at any stage of the game, and this is something that we've you know been doing with our uh, small group in the accelerator program for this super team. But let's walk through. Let's talk. If you're just getting started and you're buying that first property, you know, I think a big factor is you know, what are you trying to get out of real estate, right? Are you, and, and what is your, what is your income profile look like? If you're, if you're, let's say a W2 and you hover around maybe a hundred grand and you don't have the money that you're going to be able to buy these big 800, 900 million dollar properties. Well, maybe you do have to target a market like the Midwest and try to get a high cash on cash return to be able to make your money back quicker. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many factors that go into determining the right market for you. Budget is the biggest, <laughs> you know, um, mm. you know, people all the time, they say, oh, I want to buy, you know, my budget's 500,000. It needs to be a beach market, um, you know, in Florida. And I'm like, well, you're going to maybe get a condo, a one or two bedroom condo at, you know, at best. And it's like, well, I don't want that. And it's like, well, you can't find, you know, and so I, that's it's, uh, you know, budget is key, I think. And uh, also looking, you know, the I, I do want to talk about the cash flow thing real quick because um, people don't sure. really understand. Like so cash on cash, when I when I go to invest in a property um, and a lot of people talk about cash on cash, what's your cash on cash return? Cash on cash. The reason why we're, we're talking about it is because it's how quickly we get our money back. Cash flow is the amount of money we actually get in our pocket at the end of the day. And in reality, cash flow for me is, is probably the number one at this stage at where I'm at in my investing career because I am trying to use that income, uh, you know, obviously like to, to replace my time and my time has become more valuable. And so the, the cash flow has to be at a certain amount for a particular property for it to be worth it for me to invest mm -hmm. in that property. If you're if you're listening to this and you're a W2 employee and you and you're trying to replace your income um, by buying a short-term rental, you're going to be focused on sure cash on cash is great, but it's really going to be the cash flow of that property. Now obviously you're going to need multiple properties to do that and so that's where that cash how quickly you can scale, get that snowball rolling. 
but you really need to identify what each property needs to cash flow and it shouldn't be the same amount. Uh, I sit down with investors all the time and they say, well, you know, I, I, I need to, you know, I make $15,000 a month and I need to replace that income. So I'm going to try to do that with, um, you know, three properties. So each property needs to cash flow uh, $5,000 a month. Well, your first one's probably not going to cash flow that, especially getting started, unless you have like an extremely high budget. So, you know, let's say, let's focus on the cash on cash return so you can quickly snowball it. But the first one is going to maybe do 3000 The next one could probably do five. Then the one after that, you're going to want a little bit higher to equal that out. So it's understanding that, but that long-term view and understanding that, hey, cash flow is just as important as cash on cash. So, Right. And I think for something for me, so nowadays, I'm not really even looking at touching a deal, whether it's my own or with a partner, if I can't make at least 50 grand net a year from that deal, I won't even look at it. I won't yep. even touch it. If I don't think I can make 50 grand from it, I'm, I'm going to pass on it. And that's just knowing and understanding, you know, our time is worthwhile. And so kind of having that going in, that's, that's something that, you know, I tell a lot of investors when they first start is because they will have that sort of cash on cash, you know, mindset, because I, I do think the industry pushes that a lot, but it's really, Hey, where's your time going? And, you know, we're working with somebody in the accelerator program now who bought three cabins in the Smoky Mountains and now she's leveled up to a point where she's trying to buy properties that are twice the purchase price because she realizes, hey, I can make twice the cash flow on a bigger property and it's gonna be about the same amount of time as managing the yep. other property, right? Yeah, and, and I don't think people Yeah, sorry, real quick. I the, I was just thinking of this. I don't think people understand that truly understand the time commitment to short-term rentals until they go and set it up. <laughs> you know, you're like, all right, I gotta go furnish this property. I gotta put all, you know, you got your little tool to screw all the furniture together. Like it doesn't hit until you're doing it and you're spending a couple weeks trying to set everything up for a two bedroom house somewhere, you know? And so, uh, and you're like, wow, is this really worth my time? <laughs> so that's yeah. where you start to question things. So I think that, that that's really where it sits in, or sinks in. Yeah, I remember the last time we were doing sort of like a, we did our webinar podcast format. I was actually setting up my four bedroom house in Ohio last time we were there. I think I had the painting tape on the, I had the tape on the wall in the background of the yeah. video. Yeah, I mean, there's so much time. I mean, and, and one thing that I really like about your tool, and I was kind of explaining it to some other people at a conference that I was at is, you know, if you're going to use like an Air DNA or a Data Rabu or one of those type of tools, you know, you have to tell it what market you want to be in. Like, hey, I need to know if I want to go into Pigeon Forge or Dustin or uh, Logan, Ohio or North Georgia Mountains. But with your tool, it's, hey, here's my criteria based on my situation, whether it's, you know, I want to set a purchase price to it. I want to identify a market, whether it's beach or mountains or a city. You know, it, it sets that criteria there. And then you're almost reworking the algorithm backwards to find you the right markets and the right properties that fit your criteria. I think that's one of the things that I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and that's why we made it uh, because a lot of people, including myself, when I was looking for properties, you, you, you don't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's like, you only know what you know. Like if, if you don't, a lot of people hear markets on social media and they go to them because that's what they hear because they're learning about something new and people are, you know, oh, I did well. But those people who are doing well bought a while ago. Mm. They didn't buy today. They're not, you know, it's it, the prices, the market changes. It, what worked last year will not work this year. That's something that we really try to preach in the accelerator and teach that 
through application is understanding that you have to change your strategy. You have to change how you look for short-term rentals because what worked for everybody else the years before, previously, is not working this year. People are struggling. Um, I'm getting tons of emails from folks who bought last year, at the end of last year or middle of last year, who aren't getting the returns they were expecting because they were running, thinking, have the same logic as 2020 and 2021 in terms of their calculations and evaluations. And so as much as these other tools are great, the problem is it's kind of lagging information and data, and it's not helping people see where the price points are today and how the market shifts each and every single month because that's when everything is updated. So that's why, you know, that's what STR Insights is trying to give you is a snapshot of that market as it sits today, not last year, mm. a quarter ago or wherever. So whatever. Yeah, and that's a big thing too. I mean, I have clients in the Smoky Mountains that, you know, no joke, bought in 2018, 2019, a couple 250, $300,000 houses and these things are all worth 800, 900, even a million dollars now. And, you know, I, I try to tell them, hey, you're you're only making 30, 40 grand cash flow on this thing. You could sell it today and take that money and go scale up and, and buy, you know, more, more property in different areas that are going to get you higher cash flow. But, you know, the the industry changes, right? And even within, I would say, not even the last year, but within the last six months, you know, understanding what interest rates do to your purchasing power or what, if you're trying to sell a property, what do interest rates do to your your potential buyer's purchasing power, you know, interest rates go up that, you know, that's generally going to bring the price of property down just because less people can afford that, that, per, that purchase price. And so I think uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, so let's say you're, you have your, let's say the person that's one to three properties and they're trying to scale up, you know, at this point, if they're still working a W2 job, one of the considerations that we see a lot is, you know, they're, they're harnessing their DTI. So their DTI is going to be potentially capped or almost maxed out at that point if they have three properties in a W-2. You know, what are what are some of the, you know, investing strategies that you see people in that sort of that three to five property range? You know, at, at this point, they've they've probably had that, you know, that light bulb moment to say, hey, where what is my time worth here? You know, if I can make X amount of money on this property, but have a bigger purchase price and the same amount of time and make double, am I better off there? What What do you think the biggest hurdle, I would say, to get to that three plus property? Because you made the hurdle, you made the jump over that. What, what help do you get from, you know, you have six properties now, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, the, well, the biggest, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so the biggest hurdle that a lot of um, people, so the first one, the obvious one, I think is confidence, confidence in purchasing and like kind of rolling forward. Um, and, and then also, um, let me, no one talks about this, but I, this is a common issue a lot of people struggle with, and this is more of the fi on the financial side. A lot of people, you know, that go in with the mentality, I'm trying to replace my W-2 income. I need to make whatever it is, the, the example, $15,000 a month. Well, mm -hmm. when they start making all this money from their short-term rentals and they start the snowball effect, there's, they start drawing on that funds as well. So their actual, the amount they spend per month starts to increase and take up. So their lifestyle is better and it's increased, but they find themselves in this weird place where it's like, well, last year, you know, it was $15,000 a month, but now I need 20 or 25, mm. you know, and it's just like never ending and they're still in their W-2 well beyond where they thought they could go. And in reality, they, if they had just taken that money they'd gotten from their short-term rentals and just rolled it back in and been patient three, 
three to five years, they could have really been, you know, like gotten out of their W-2 and, and relying solely upon the real estate investments. And that's still snowballing and compounding essentially. So um, I, I think that's like the first step people need to realize, like if you're trying to scale is, okay, am I spending more money now that I'm making more money too? Is that, you know, equate? Uh, because if it does, then maybe you need to reevaluate that because you're just going to continue and you're not really going to actually truly scale like you think you'll want what, what you originally wanted to do um that's such a good and point. then yeah yeah so i, I thought i'd throw that out there um and then yeah so the lending gets starts to get really complicated especially with your dti so i mean i'm sure you've talked about commercial loan products before but those rates are crazy but guys i'm so i'm not a creative financing guru by any means um but there is some i, I talk to a lot, i help people find properties and i was helping uh, one guy find a property and um, the way, so I guess I'll, I'll preface this before going into this, but uh, the way I evaluate the purchase price of a property, for especially for a short-term rental, because it's an income property for me, is looking at the gross revenue to the purchase price. So I will ignore the purchase price and I will evaluate what the revenue of that property is. So if it's a, you know, a $500,000 home and for me, I'm like, well, I got to make my $50,000 cash flow. So it needs to make at least a back of the napkin math here, hundred thousand gross, $100,000 a year gross. So if the prop, so I'll start with the gross amount. I think this property can make a hundred thousand. So to me, I would be willing to pay $500,000 for this property in a buyer's market, which is where we're headed. This is definitely, and you know, more and more, this is definitely the way people should be thinking. So to, especially when you're trying to scale, because now, okay, this property is 500,000, but if I look and it's listed for 600, and it, but it's been on the market for more than, you know, 30 days, well, guess what? I'm gonna go talk to that owner and maybe I can do some creative financing. Maybe they'll wanna do seller financing or, you know, some seller uh, concessions or, or things at closing or whatever so that I can work it so that I can get that $500,000 deal. 95% of investors look at price first and then evaluate. Mm. And they're not thinking creatively. For me, it's an income producing property. So I wanna know how much is that property gonna make before I look at the price. And then I look at the price and say, you know what, we can work with this or you know, I need to talk to the seller, see what they can do. And, and a lot of investors don't do that and they miss out on amazing deals that are right in front of their faces in you know, super obvious markets uh, because they're, they're not taking the time to understand from the seller's perspective as well how motivated they are. That's such a great point. I mean, I think we could do an entire podcast just on like negotiation and just sort of yeah. financing tactics. And, you know, we talk with John Hodge. Maybe, from the maybe Super do team, that right? with John Hodge. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, not me, so but John, John Hodge is going to be key there. We're, we're so. going to set him up. But, you know, one of the things, I don't know if you were on the call, but we had on our accelerated coaching call one week, uh, we had a we had a member who uh, got a pre-approval from the bank for a DSCR loan. And, you know, based on interest rates and the income verification and whatnot, well, he had to lower the purchase price or the pre-approval letter amount. And so I was thinking of like, you know, that's a strategy to go to a buyer or to go to a seller, especially in a buyer's market to say, hey, you know, I was pre-approved for 380, but you know, and that's what I kind of wanted to offer you here. But 
you know, after the interest rates go up and what we're looking at in the numbers, you know, the most I can offer you is only 340 for this property. And I think that's such a strong negotiation tactic to be able to go to a seller and say, you know, this is exactly what I'm offering you and here's why. You know, this is my top dollar. I think it's so powerful. Um, yeah. I, and it, there was, it's good. I'll, I'll add, sorry, I want to add this one last thing I, I found. This guy, I was talking to this, like, he's essentially wholesaling short-term rental property. So he reaches out to hosts and he says, hey, I'm you know willing to buy your property or, or sell your property. Or are you willing to sell? And he told me, so I talked to him last week. He says that he is getting, um, so he sends out mailers. And you know, okay. uh, he's been doing this for a couple of years now. He usually gets about one to maybe 3% like response rate. He said he's getting now between 10 to 15% response rate. Oh, so wow. guys, the market's shifting. People are mm. interested in, you know, considering in, in these houses, some of these houses, they're doing very well. Uh, and the sellers are just like, yeah, I mean, I want to cash out. It's time for me to, you know, go on to something else or or maybe they're seeing a little bit of a setback and they want to pull out. I mean, when there's fear in the market, I think that's when you can really find opportunity. So go ahead. Yeah. Before we uh, get on to this, uh, ne- the next topic here, I wanted to circle back about the the timing of when you actually get your STR up and running is super important. I know you know you and uh, Bill talked about it in the SDRonomics podcast, but you know I'm even thinking about it for my own self. So the uh, ground up construction in Branson, you know, we were supposed to start building on that in early January, and we haven't even we we're just now closing on the appro- approval for the construction loan at the end of this month. And so you know now with the, our project not being finished until you know I don't know. August or September, like we're missing the entire peak season this year of the Branson market. And so, you know, you knowing that it's like, well, now we have to kind of beef up our cash reserves because we're going to have to front, you know, some mortgage payment and some utilities and some expenses there. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you've seen with investors? With timing? Yeah. In certain markets, right? Certain markets in the country, right? Or have different timing. Yeah. So, I mean, I made this mistake, but you know, I, yeah, I, I made this mistake last year. My peak season is from the beginning of May all the way till the end of October. And mm-hmm. after that, it is absolutely dead. There's no bookings. Uh, yeah, well, I can't say absolutely nothing, but literally from January to April, I have zero bookings. So I launched my property and walk This is my Watkins Glen property. I launched it at the end of May. So I missed about $10,000 of revenue, $10,000 that would have covered, uh, covered my mortgage or, and my, some of my carrying costs for those months I had zero bookings. And it's because I, I could have, you know, um, I spent way too long getting the property ready and thinking, okay, you know, I can do some of this stuff on my own. I don't need to hire out anybody to help move, you know, the, the owner, the owners literally like sold me the property, everything in it. And it was like grandma's closet. So I had furniture and this is a seven bedroom, seven bath property. And I thought in my head, I could get this thing ready in two weeks. <laughs> so, well, I know it took five and, uh, you know, uh, and it was a painful lesson. I should have just said, you know, posted on Facebook, Hey, we're giving away everything for free in this house come and get it 9am, you know, there's and take pictures of stuff, you know, posting, just get it gone, get it gone. That would have saved me at least a week and a half to two weeks of time. Um, but I lost a lot of revenue. And that's the opportunity cost. 
that a lot of people mm. don't take into account. So by by losing that, you know, that sets me back a little bit in terms of timing and how quickly I can get my money back, uh, you know, for that cash on cash return. And so um, understanding your market. So if you're looking to buy in an extremely seasonal market, so beach markets, uh, it is February 23rd. You know, I don't know when this thing's going to roll out, but you know, you need to be looking and buying soon because you're going to miss all of that revenue from part of the summer season. And then when it hits the shoulder and the end of the year, there's nothing. So that timing is going to be absolutely key and crucial to understanding and really maximize, especially if you're like, this is your first property. Um, you don't want to be carrying the costs uh, later on. You want this to cover everything. So in cash flow uh, in that first year. So, and because that helps you and that motivates you to get that second property and that third property. So timing is key. Yeah, that's great. So I know we, we both spoke at the STR Wealth Conference last year, the inaugural conference. And I know when I gave my speech, I said, if anybody has any questions, they can find me on Broadway that night. Uh, as long as they buy me a drink, I'll, I'll answer any questions that they have. And so one of the guys came up to me, I think it was at uh, the Dirks Bentley uh, or Bentley Row or um, whatever that the bar is called. It's three floors with a rooftop. It's, it was awesome. And so he came up to me and he goes, well, he goes, Ryan, look, I'm a W2. I'm a doctor. I have seven short-term rentals. They're all, they were all in the Smoky Mountains. And he goes, I'm finding it hard to scale and get out of my my job, right? I'm, you know, finding it hard to get rid of that half million dollar salary. Do you have any advice for me? Because what I don't have right now is time between, you know, running it, running work as a doctor mm -hmm. and then as scaling the properties, he doesn't have time. I, the one thing I told him, I was like, you're probably doing your own bookkeeping, right? And he like shook his head, you know, he shook his head, like nodded his head down. He said, you know, like that. And I was like, Hey man, you got to outsource that. You have to get automate your systems a little bit better so that way you can free up some more time to either go find more properties or maybe it's make a little bit more money at your W2 so you can eventually try to transition out. You know, what is your what is your big tip and piece of advice for somebody looking to get out of their W2 or their day job and into full-time entrepreneurship, whether it is through real estate or other business endeavors, right? Because you left uh, your W2 job to to run your company full-time. What's your what's your number one tip? Yeah, um I, I really feel like the first thing actually comes to mind and it's interesting. I don't know if I would have said this on any other day, but that person or most people should probably hire a VA. Mm. Um, a lot of stuff uh, that we do, especially in the short-term rental space, can be offloaded to a VA. Not everything. Uh, and it's not something easy to just go out and hire a VA and all your problems are solved. It does take an initial upfront time of investment to understand what they need to do and, and how they work and so on. But a VA, I, I mean, so I have uh, 14 VAs currently. Oh, wow. So, and they all do different things, like all the way from like, you know, uh, writing and, and copy and, uh, you know, all the way to data and data quality and checks and stuff like that. And they're in all like all of my different businesses. And honestly, it's, uh, you can get them to a point where you set it and forget it. And they can take all, like the bookkeeping, um, social media posts, uh, you know, just, just all kinds of little things that, that you have to take the time to do, they can offload as long as you teach them how to do it properly. So for me, um, I think one of the biggest things when you scale any business, if you're thinking about, this is a business, first off, this isn't just something like real estate investing, it is an active business that you're involved in. And you have to be able to delegate 
your time away to other people. You have to be willing to pay other people to help you out and take away some of these things because that will help you and give you the time to focus on the right things. Um, I'm not saying I've got that mastered by any means, and I think you and I know that, but uh, it's something we struggle with. But um, it is it is key. I mean, I yeah, it's so refreshing when I'm like, you know what? I used to have to do that, and now I don't. And somebody's got it for mm. me, and I can just ask for a report or a monthly, you know, uh, wrap up sheet or something like that that tells me what I need to know. Um, and that is the key. Uh, I think to scaling and be and getting your time on the right things. So for our special listeners that have taken the time to listen to this all, all through, can we get the secrets and the insights on, you know, what are some of the areas that you're looking to potentially make your next investment in? Cause I want to know for myself I mean, too. <laughs> you want to know for yourself. You want to know the markets? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> so um, for me personally, and I mean, Ryan, you know, we, you, you kind of already know, um, for investments that I'm looking to get involved in are on a larger scale. So mm -hmm. I'm looking at, and I think that's the power of, you know, our accelerator and some of the other programs that we're going to be doing together is, you know, working with people who are looking to really invest in bigger properties or properties with multiple units or just like creative deals, not just a typical single family home, you know, three, four, six, even six bedroom, like we're talking, you know, maybe 15 bedrooms or so on in, in, in the right locations. I, I, uh, let me tell you this. I have found opportunity in one way or another in almost, um, you know, I can find opportunity. I should frame it like that in almost any market. It just, mm. it's the probability of actually getting or finding that deal that works, um, you know, that meets that circumstances. I, I was looking in San Diego with a, an investor, um, not for myself, I would never invest in there, but it's a cool, cool city. And I was helping them out and they were like, Kenny, what works here? And so I took some time and did some research and the, really the play there is because you can still get a permit. Everyone who's listening says, oh no, they, they capped off. They did cap the permits, but not everybody applied. So they still have room. So if you're listening mm -hmm. to this and you're interested in San Diego, better take advantage of that soon. Um, but what I found is you can find sweet spots in every market or micro markets uh, and identify the best locations to invest in and then figure out what works. It starts with understanding the gross revenue and then pricing properties off that. If properties, there's uh, properties in San Diego on the beach, you know, they're multi-millions, we'll say three million is kind of what I'm seeing, you know, and the revenues maybe 400, 500,000. Well, if that's too much, you know, what should it be priced at? And then maybe you need to do a burr in that market. Mm. And in fact, burrs, if you look at the data, you look and you say, okay, I can find a fixer upper for 1.1 or 1.5, or 2 million even, and I know it can make 500,000, you know, I can put, you know, uh, 200, $300,000 into it and boom, that works. And that now it makes sense and the deal is there. But if you look at it, you know, flying, you know, 30,000 feet above it, none of the deals are gonna make sense because you're just looking at price and revenue. And so really diving deeper into every single market and figuring out what truly works, what's coming to that market. Um, Frisco, Texas, Anybody listening, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm not pers like I, I would consider investing there because they're putting in a universal studio uh, studios. And when I looked in the data, 
five bedrooms are there's not many five bedrooms on the market and they're performing very well they have a higher roi just from a price to revenue standpoint and if you invest close to universal i mean that's just gonna it's gonna do even better and so um that's one market i would keep my eye on just if you're wanting to know a market uh frisco texas is, is a great market um they do have some regulation but that doesn't mean you can't get in there and uh um let me give you one more I'm texting my employee, texting my employee right now. Uh, <laughs> Let, to look I'll give the, you one more. <laughs> um, uh, so I guess a market. Oh, here's a fun one. I got a fun. So uh, <laughs> for for I'll, I'll throw one out there for for John Hodge. He's gonna. He said he keeps sending me these. Like, yeah, I'm gonna send you a cease and desist for talking about Memphis. But Memphis, Texas, is one of the top urban markets to invest in. Um, the, uh, my mother called me the other day, she saw a video and I was talking about Memphis and she was like, why would you tell anybody to go invest in Memphis? <laughs> like, she's like, do you know they have crime there? And I was like, you know, I live in Buffalo, right? <laughs> like there's crime yeah. everywhere. Like there, there are, I mean, there's opportunity also everywhere as well. And the markets where people aren't thinking about, that's not on the front of their mind is, oh, that is a, you know, this logical or not logical but just like psychological uh place that people want to invest like a destin or a gatlinburg when you hear those names you're like oh yeah yeah i'd love to invest there but the the places yeah. that people aren't saying there's a lot of opportunity there and so memphis uh, gulfport mississippi is a great example of that it's a it's a beach market terrible water don't know why anybody would vacation there but millions of people do every year and the market is excellent it's one of the better beach markets in the country and so understanding that and kind of changing um how you think is going to be key to finding the right right markets in 2023 yeah Gulfport. i mean it's got to be what the cheapest beach market to get into i would think yes yeah it's got to be the cheapest yeah, I, I don't think that uh, even Texas coast has kind of gone up and gotten a little pricier. Mm. But um, I mean, even when you think about Myrtle Beach, for example, area, like it's just the, the numbers don't make sense. Uh, and so but that's because it's a traditional vacation rental market. Um, I'm not saying you can't find opportunity there, but just from a face value price to revenue doesn't make sense unless you do something creative. So. Yeah, one of the, the last thing before we go. So one of the things that you, what I found really interesting is when you were showing me SDR Insights tool, you were showing me to try to find trends in a certain market. So you, you know, let's say you go find six or seven five bedroom houses in a market with with two or three bathrooms, and you see, okay, well these top two are kind of like super outliers. They're making the gross amount of revenue. These bottom, these bottom two are kind of also outliers in the sense that they don't make as much. But these ones kind of right here in the middle, like these are typically try to be the trends and what we can kind of set our our data to and then try to outperform those specific markets. It's the same way that um, John Bianchi showed me in Dustin when I first met him last year. You guys mm -hmm. have the same sort of uh, almost approach when it comes to trying to find the trends in the market and try to outperform and analyze that data. Um, what, can, where can uh, people get a hold of that? Are you guys working on anything and where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so uh, John and I are actually putting on an event. I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but the event will probably it's going to be March 9th and 10th, um, where we're we're going through how to identify properties, cash flowing properties in 2023 specifically. So uh, John, yeah, John and I connected. 
Um, we were probably like the two most biggest data nerds and very, oh, yeah. very good at um, identifying markets and properties. And we have like, I mean, when we talk, I mean, it, I just, I'm just like, preach, brother, preach. You know, like it, it's, it's really <laughs> yeah. fun uh, you doing guy, stuff with him. I get it. And yeah. then, um, I, I learned stuff from him and, uh, you know, I get to teach him things too. Cause we're, we're kind of coming at it from different things. He, he works for a fund that that's what they do, uh, like a $37 million fund. And that's, that's what he does. He's head of data there and he goes and finds properties. Um, me on the other hand, I have a software company where I have all this data and information. And so it's just fun and, um, kind of partnering on stuff. So, um, look at, so, I mean, uh, guys, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like I said, I don't know when this podcast will come out, but we do have an event coming out. We'll probably do future events as well together oh, yeah. talking about data and how we use it. And so uh, follow us on Instagram. I'm at Kenny underscore Bedwell. And then uh, John, uh, John is at the Airbnb data guy. So, yeah, check us awesome. out on Instagram. Well, thanks so much, Kenny. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you guys.